Thank you, Teresa. Adrian, thank you so much. Let's stand for the reading of the gospel. Our reading this morning comes from the eighth chapter of St. John. Now, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, if you continue in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered Him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there is no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, happy Fourth of July to you, and again, thank you, Adrian and Teresa, for such a always a stirring and a beautiful way of, of um, being a part of worship and giving glory to God. Uh, before I get started today, I want to acknowledge what I know some of you have been thinking about and praying for. Uh, for Pastor Laura, you've heard this past week either digitally or in a letter that came in your mailbox about. Uh, her decision, their decision to move, to relocate to Knoxville, to take some time away from pastoral ministry so that she can devote full time to being a mom, a, 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 spouse, a, a wife, a, a um, uh, let's see, a daughter, a sister, lots of different sort of roles that you're eager to jump into. And we know this past year has been particularly difficult for you and your family, and so God bless you as you make this transition. We love you so much, uh, and, and we will be eager to, to tell you how much we love you these next few weeks, so God bless you. Today is a day, July 4th, for storytelling, isn't it? Uh, either as Americans or as people, as families, as folks gather uh, far and near to celebrate in one way or another. I will admit to you that normally we gather together on Sundays for storytelling, but this year uh, that storytelling is, is going to be a little bit different. I won't be telling stories about Jesus but I will be telling a, story, a, a, a sermon, sharing a sermon about one particular verse that roots us in this cause, this freedom of Jesus, and it is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You are free, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Serve one another. You are free. As many of you know, we, my family and I, lived in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia for 13 years. We had a, a chance a few weeks ago, Carter and Krista and I, to travel back for a wedding, which brought back lots of memories and guided us through uh, some of America's most beautiful landscape, tucked between the Allegheny and the, and the Blue Ridge Mountains. Because of a traffic jam, though, on I-85, we were rerouted to Route 11, that iconic road that parallels 85 and guides you through, through towns and villages, through really just chapter after chapter of our early American history. Along the way, you're going to encounter so much in addition just to the beauty of the landscape. You'll, you'll see proud churches that sit right in the center of town, the meandering curves and forks 
of the Shenandoah River. You'll, you'll encounter George Washington's headquarters and Woodrow Wilson's birthplace. You'll discover the Luray, the Endless, the Skyline Caverns there. You'll probably meet people who knew Patsy Cline, and you'll cross over a covered bridge or two. It's once known as the Great Wagon Road, this Route 11. Uh, hordes along it, uh, hordes of immigrants from Scotland and Germany, Presbyterians and Lutherans traveled along that route as, as they made their way from Pennsylvania down the Shenandoah Valley into the Yadkin Valley of North Carolina. Well, one of those immigrants was a young boy named Paul Hinkle, who was born in 1754 right here in Rowan County and lived here until his family returned to Newmarket, Virginia, when he was just nine years of age. But early on in life, Paul Hinkle decided that he wanted to serve in ministry. He wanted to be a pastor of the church, and, and so he began to study as a teenager for ministry, and upon his ordination, he started opening churches. He didn't think there were enough churches in the Shenandoah Valley and, and all that part of western Virginia, and so he decided to open up church after church throughout the valley. Um, soon, later in life, I will say, we'll skip a few years, and, and Hinkle, married now, had two sons who started Hinkle Press in Newmarket, the first and the most prominent Lutheran and German press in the South. All of that, I think, is particularly sort of interesting of this one man who has his roots here in uh, Rowan County. But why does all of that really matter? Well, in 1800, Paul Hinkle was called to return to North Carolina to serve congregations back in Rowan County, including this one here at St. John's. Here, he helped to start the North Carolina Synod in 1802, and, and here is, is where he guided a relationship with St. Luke's Episcopal just across the street as the two congregations shared the same worship space together. Uh, it's interesting how rooted he was to this particular area and always considered this his home base, his hometown. Now, a few years later, however, he felt the call to continue organizing Lutheran churches throughout the colonies, or now the states, throughout this country. In fact, he became what he called an independent missionary, using his own funds to begin churches in, in Tennessee and Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana. He was so successful in Ohio that he was invited to help establish the Ohio Synod in 1818. Paul Hinkle never stopped preaching, literally, until death called him to the church triumphant in 1824 at the age of 70. He was buried in Newmarket, Virginia, in a church cemetery that literally sits along Route 11. Well, just down the road from where he was and spent a lot of his time and certainly where he is now buried, lived a good friend and a mentor of Paul Hinkle's. Peter Muhlenberg. Maybe you've heard that name. He's the son of Henry Muhlenberg, who we know is the father of, of American Lutheranism. Peter was also a Lutheran pastor, but he was likewise a brigadier general in the Revolutionary Army and a good friend of George Washington's. On January 21st, perhaps his most famous sort of story, uh, January 21st of 1776, Peter Muhlenberg famously stood before Emanuel Lutheran Church in Woodstock, Virginia, one half block from this famous Route 11. Uh, it was just 
just days before the British army was to arrive in Shenandoah, and he began to read from Ecclesiastes 3 these, these wonderful words. He read, for every time there is a season, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what has been planted. There is a time for love and a time for hate. There is a time for war and a time for peace. And as if on cue, as drums began to roll outside those church doors, Muhlenberg dramatically pulled off his robe to reveal a revolutionary uniform and said, gentlemen, now is the time for war. And then the next day, he led 300 new recruits from the county to form the nucleus of the 8th Virginia Regiment. You know, there's an interesting way that you and I actually are connected to this particular story. You see, the black silk robe that Paul Hinkle wore at St. John's and wherever he served as a pastor in his ministry, it was a robe that was given to him by Peter Muhlenberg, a robe that he famously removed to inspire a band of freedom fighters in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, freedom, after all, has deep, deep roots, doesn't it? And if you look hard enough, we'll all find some sort of connection to this American brand of freedom, freedom that has demanded the commitment and likewise the courage of women and men throughout our history so that we might enjoy the blessings of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, today is a day of celebrating our nation, its history, and, and those who have gone before us, some of whom are, are quite heroic in their tasks, and the principles, at the very least, the principles that they fought to preserve. It's a day to sing songs about the sweet land of liberty, when for one moment at least each year, one moment at least each year, we are wrapped in a reminder of our common ground, our common history, and our common purpose. For that reason, it is significant, friends. It's significant that we honor the 4th of July in worship so that we together can give thanks for freedom, that we might celebrate the sense of liberty and pray that God will guide us and direct us along our path to a more perfect union. So, turn to your neighbor and wish them happy 4th of July. Now, I have to tell you, and I'm being honest here, right, um, the pursuit of liberty, for me at least, has been pretty doggone easy. I mean, I've never lived through a world war. None of us have lived through a revolution or a bloody civil conflict in which brother fought against brother. I didn't live the life of a slave or face the questioning of an immigrant trying to, to find a new home in these United States. For me, freedom is something that I've taken for granted. But let's not forget that freedom has come with great, great cost, and freedom likewise comes with great, great responsibility. Our reading this morning is from a first-century letter to the Christian churches in Galatia, which is present-day Turkey, by the way. In the fifth chapter of this letter, St. Paul is, is sharing uh, some comments about what this ultimate sense of freedom is all about, and he's, he's using his favorite two words, but now, but now. We once were dead, he writes, but now we are alive. Um, we once were lost, but now we are found. We once were slaves, but now we are children of God. We once were bound by the law, but now, he says, 
we are free. And how are we free? Well, the answer is relatively easy for you and for me at at least, but not for Jesus Christ, whose death on a cross is what brings to us freedom, who freed us from the power of sin and death so that you and I might enjoy the beauties, the bounty of new life. But let's not forget that freedom comes with great cost. For Jesus, it came the cost of death on a cross, which is why freedom for the Christian, at the very least, must come with great responsibility. Look at verse 13 again, if you will. It's what we quoted earlier. You are free, Paul says. My brothers and sisters, you are free. Don't forget it. Don't don't overlook the fact that you are free. You haven't earned it. Maybe you haven't even deserved it necessarily, but you are free, my brothers and sisters. But don't use that freedom for the sake of self-indulgence, but instead, through love, become slaves to one another. In other words, we are free not just for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of building up a community of peace and justice and goodwill, for the sake of the common good. That's what it means to live in freedom. Representatives to the First Continental Congress serve as a pretty darn good example, I would would think. Men from all but one of the 13 colonies arrived facing the threat of treason and execution simply by showing up. But they were bound, and they were determined to promote uh, this sense of justice and equality for all. Interestingly, as they entered Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia, they chose not to meet behind desks, as was custom when you were getting ready to engage in debate, but to sit in a circle so that all would be considered equal and every voice might be heard. Susan B. Anthony, another great example, don't you think? I mean, living in an era when women were not afforded the the same rights as men. On July 4th, 1876, the 100th anniversary of this this sense of freedom in these United States, she was determined to speak at this nation's centennial at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, demanding, as she had been doing for quite some time already, demanding that women be given the right to vote. Unfortunately, and I guess not surprisingly, she was barred from delivering her speech because she was a woman. But rather than give up, Susan B. Anthony gave copies of her speech to the audience and then went around to the back of Independence Hall where she climbed the steps and boldly spoke to a fast-growing crowd. Or what of Frederick Douglass, the social reformer, the abolitionist, the statesman and writer, no doubt the most influential African-American in the 19th century. Douglass began his life as a slave in Maryland, but courageously escaped to New York City at the age of, of 21. Soon thereafter, he became a leader of this abolitionist movement, speaking around the country as one of our, our, our country's most famous orators. People came from everywhere just to hear him speak. Well, on July 5th, 1852, Douglas offered what arguably could be his most enduring speech titled, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? And in it, he demanded freedom and equal rights for slaves. Not at all surprising that's what he had been doing ever since his own freedom, but saying that there is freedom, that until there is freedom for all, this Fourth of July is yours but it is not mine. Douglas ends by saying that freedom is never easy. It's a struggle. But if there is no struggle, there is no progress, he writes. 
For if it's in the struggle, for it's in the struggle that we dare to move forward. And that's what matters so much, isn't it? That we dare to move forward. It matters so much, or should it, at the very least, for us as a people, for us as a country, that we dare to move forward. Look, we've been reminded over and over again this past year, especially that this country has never been perfect. And so, if we choose to celebrate, and celebrate we should, it is also important for us to mourn. It's right for us to mourn. Because unless we remember our worst moments as a country, we'll never fully understand ourselves as a nation, nor will we know what it actually takes to move forward, to become what the framers said is a more perfect union, which ultimately is our goal, right? To become a more perfect union. Each of July, uh, each 4th of July, I turned to the writings of a Frenchman, Alex de Tocqueville, who after visiting America in 1831 wrote these words. I've shared them over and over again. I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and her boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her greatness and power. America is great because America is good, and friends, if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Abraham Lincoln spoke of the same thing in his Gettysburg Address just a few years after the, the most brutal sort of few years in our nation's history when we were wrecked within the, the war of a, of a civil war. He wrote this, with malice toward none, but with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive, he wrote. Let us strive on to finish the work that we are still in, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and a lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. See, our freedom as Christians and our freedom as Americans comes with responsibility, friends, with personal responsibility and with collective responsibility to keep working hard at becoming a more perfect union, not for the sake of a few, but for the sake of all. To get there, we have to ask ourselves a very basic question, and certainly a question that we should be asking ourselves in the church all the time, but certainly a question we should be asking ourselves as Americans. How will you use your freedom? Is it for selfish reasons or for selfless reasons, selfishly for only my own sake or selflessly for the sake of the other. How will you use your freedom? Well, today the church celebrates the 4th of July. Now look, come on, we're not here to paint God red, white, or blue. We're not trying to claim that God is more American than He is German or, or Italian or Mexican or Guatemalan. We celebrate today because we love our country 
and we love our God. And so we set this day aside so that we can sing and pray and so that we can hope that the peace and love of Christ might be known throughout this land of the free from sea to shining sea, from the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, from the coast of Maine to the lakes of Minnesota, from the Dakota prairies to the Florida Keys, from the Grand Tetons to the heights of Mount Mitchell, from the Outer Banks to even, yes, the Shenandoah Valley, to proclaim that we are free that we are free to love, that we are free, why, to care, that we are free, why, to comfort, that we are free, why, to welcome. And yes, in the midst of so much hate and division that seems to be pulling us so far apart these days, to exercise our freedom boldly and courageously to share God's love with a community, with a country, with a world that is so eager and desperate to know God's love. May God bless us and keep us today and always. Amen.